Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. And I'm Charles DeLand, Associate Director for Research at the C.D. Howe Institute. Six percent of Canada's total greenhouse gas emissions come from Canadian homes, and Ottawa believes we can reduce that. The federal government is aiming to bring down 2030 building emissions by 42 percent of 2019's releases and zero by 2050. In his report, Only Hot Air, The Implications of Replacing Gas and Oil in Canadian Homes, Charles asks, is this feasible? And will it make a dent in Canada's carbon footprint? He joins us for the answers. Charles, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm stunned that anyone is still using heating oil, but maybe that's just my Ontario bias talking. And I'm also surprised at how many homes are already using electric baseboard heat, which I was always told was insanely inefficient and expensive. Is that just my 1980s bias talking? Walk us through the home heating landscape. The home heating landscape in Canada is very regional. And so in Quebec, for example, there's a lot of baseboard heating, mostly because it's it's in a place where electricity is cheap. They have large hydroelectric projects, and so they can afford it. I think in other parts of the country where electricity is more expensive, of course, you would never put electric baseboard heated. It's not the best solution. And on uh, on heating oil, there are still some places that it's used, primarily the Atlantic provinces. So if we want to replace all of this with heat pumps, you know, I'm a bit of a home reno geek. A heat pump lasts about 15 years, but a natural gas furnace needs replacing only every 20 years. Is this factored into the numbering? It's not factored into our particular analysis, but it is certainly a real life factor to, to in, in terms of the choices that homeowners and builders and uh, apartment builders, uh, renters have to take in and keep in mind. So at the end of the day, you're actually kind of recommending a dual fuel system. That's one of our recommendations. It's saying effectively that if we were to use only one solution, which is heat pumps, it's going to be hugely, it's going to be very expensive and it will be a large task. So we have to look at probably an array of different ideas to reduce emissions in residential homes, residences. It's a fascinating piece. You write that switching 400,000 homes per year to electric heat pumps to get us to that 2050 target of no homes burning fossil fuels would cost as much as $6.3 billion a year. I thought a heat pump was about three grand, maybe 15 if you've got a monster home. How do we arrive at this multi-billion dollar figure? Well, I mean, no home is the same, so we have to we had to average it and come up with a, a notional uh, replacement cost. You can't just swap out a heat pump if there was what no heat pump there before. So if you're replacing a natural gas furnace with a heat pump, for example, or uh, boiler systems, it is going to be very, very expensive. So this is the number we came up with. It's it's not bad. In fact, if anything, it may understate the cost. We, we are not looking at, for example, you know, electrical panel upgrades or anything like that that may be necessary in order to put in a heat pump. Does it take into consideration, though, as, as you point out, you can't just swap one for the other. Uh, a home may have duct work. It may not have duct work. Uh, there's an extensive amount of work that may need to be done to retrofit a home uh, to use an electric heat pump. Correct. And again, we're, our paper doesn't make mention of the efficiency or the, whether that's always the best solution. For example, uh, I live in a very, quite an old home. It's not the most efficient. And just putting in a heat pump to replace my natural gas furnace would not be the smartest idea without doing a great deal of uh, insulation retrofits, for example. 
6% of overall greenhouse gas emissions for Canada doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things for the cost incurred. Um, I would tend to agree with that. It's not the largest sector. It doesn't mean it's zero, but it just shows that a lot of effort needs to be expended on what is relatively small amount of emissions in terms of the total economy. Do we have an electrical grid that can support this transition? That's a big question. That wasn't the focus of this particular study, but it's certainly a, a big concern. I would say that's broader for the whole movement to electrification of everything, whether it's uh, transportation, whether it's housing, anything that we're moving off fossil fuels into the electrical grid, it needs to be able to support it. And as you point out, you know, one of the reasons why electric baseboard heat is so popular in Quebec is they have a lot of electrical generation opportunities in that province specifically. So there's an uneven issue at play here. That's right. Yes. Uh, for example, places like Alberta, which has, again, a differently regulated system, but also a lot of natural gas, less coal and an increasing amount of renewables does not have the same uh, footprint or the same landscape as it does Quebec. So it's an extensive report that you've written here. What was the thing that jumped out at you the most? I think the thing that jumps out at me the most is that it's not going to be one thing. You know, it's, I think it's, it's really neat, but I think there's also a lot of, um, there's going to take, how do I say it? There's going to be a need to prove the technology. I think there's a lot of doubt when it comes to a technology that's never been used in some parts of the country and that there's a lot of uh, perhaps, uh, I would say, bad information or missing information. The, the whole cold climate heat pumps that are around today are more efficient and work in lower temperatures than before. But people familiar with heat pumps from previous generations don't have a lot of confidence in them. And I think that's going to have to be overcome too, to make sure they actually work. Why don't they have the confidence in them? Pre previously, they didn't work very well in colder temperatures below, say, you know, zero degrees uh, freezing. And it's people are very obviously concerned with comfort. They want to make sure whatever is in their home provides adequate warming in our cold climate. Yeah, I remember when uh, I had a, a splitless, uh, a ductless split installed in my house because we had boiler-based heat and we needed air conditioning. We didn't have the the vents. That the model we got actually was a combo unit. It did do uh, a heat pump. And when we sold the house, the house inspector was like, "So does the heat pump work?" I'm like, "I never once used it." <laughs> That's right. You, you didn't know. I didn't know, and yeah. I had a, a fully functional natural gas-based system. Yeah. Help us understand the genesis of why this is a, a target uh, for environmental change um, on Parliament Hill. Oh, because it just it, it takes the fossil fuel combustion and it moves it to electrical sources, which can be then uh, created with less emissions. emissions. It's, it's a big goal obviously with part of the emission reduction plan for 2030. So to your point, this is only part of a, a much larger uh, target that we're trying to, to achieve here. Correct. The, the plans they have are sector by sector, and this is just one of them. The other ones, such as oil and gas and transportation, seem to get more play, which is part of the reason we wanted to address it, so that, that this comes to the light. 
So is there some form of, of policy in place that is going to mean that at some point I'm going to get a knock at my door and say, how come you haven't switched from a natural gas furnace? Uh, gosh, I hope not. This hasn't happened yet. I think what I could foresee happening down the road is building codes being adjusted for new construction, for example, to encourage certain types of, of heating over others. I think that's a long way off because there's a lot of proving to be done and, and safety issues. And, and, you know, I think from my experience, the construction industry tends to be a little bit conservative as our municipalities. They want to make sure that people are comfortable and um, things are affordable for them. So uh, I'm not too concerned about that in the short term. I hope not. That affordability issue is an interesting point as well. We're dealing with housing affordability generally in this country and in some regions more than others. Would pushing the development community from a natural gas-based system or uh, a heating oil, depending on where you live, into uh, an electric heat pump-based system make a house more expensive on day one? It's a big concern. There's Obviously, there's the upfront cost, which we talked about, of perhaps fifteen dollars to $20,000, but there's the ongoing costs of running the electricity. Like, what is your utility bill going to look like? And there is not much confidence in thinking people that they know what their electricity costs are going to be. For one, it's not, it's fairly opaque and it can change from month to month or year to year, especially depending on the province you, you see. I mean, in Ontario, a few years ago, you had very high electricity prices. That sort of experience sticks in people's memories. They want to have confidence that electricity prices are going to be stable and low and to make these kinds of investments especially compared to the alternatives such as natural gas or whatever, or heating oil. Right. And that just sort of brings me back to my, my comment about my perception, maybe born out of the 1980s in Ontario, that anybody who was heating a house with electricity was just throwing money out the window, particularly compared to a natural gas sort of scenario. Right. Which province would be hurt the most by a push to electric-based heat pumps? Well, we didn't do that specifically, but it's, I think any of them that have particularly a volatile uh, electricity price, uh, I, I would say probably Alberta because it has a deregulated uh, wholesale market, uh, potentially any provinces that has uh, interventions in the market that could potentially raise the price. The ones that probably are best off are the ones that have large amounts of very stable power such as those with big hydro resources so quebec and <laughs> bc perhaps although yeah. they their prices can be volatile too they sell into the the california market and uh, and so they they well they have some exposure there so you're not convinced we could meet the 2030 target without significant aggressive action I'm not convinced we can meet the 2030 target without significant action. If you look at our scenarios, we have, if we just use this scenario, this is again, not a forecast, it's a scenario, but to meet that target, we'd have to basically have no emitting houses after 2023. So you'd have to cut them off right away. And you would have to retrofit over half of half a million homes per year in Canada. That's the aggressive action of which you speak. Correct. So then what's the carrot to the stick to getting homeowners to convert existing homes? To make sure that there's 
confidence in the electricity prices to make sure that the the consumers can be confident that those units will provide the heat they want, that they're reliable, that they're affordable, that they're not going to be cold when it's 20 below or something like that in Canada. Uh, and so we have to make sure it works. And I think there's a lot of questions that alongside that, uh, the cost expectations is that they just, there's, there's people who just don't believe that they're, they're quite there yet in the technology. So the government can help by doing R&D to help prove that out, working with builders, working with utilities to help to prove that. It also sounds a lot like um, the solar panel industry when we were given incentives to put panels on our roofs by getting rebates back. Um, in many cases, the, the cost was reduced substantially. You could feed the electricity back into the system and you could, in some cases, get a net negative electricity bill at the end of the day. Is there a similar sort of incentive program that Ottawa needs to implement if it's going to see us willing to, to pry our natural gas furnaces from our cold, frigid hands. <laughs> there is a rebate program. The government's Greener Homes program has some rebates. It, from what I understand, it, it it can be very useful for those that are motivated to do it already. It, it lowers the cost for people. But it needs. it's not the scale that it would need to be to actually achieve the 2030 targets or even the 2050 targets. There's a lot of administrative overhead for these programs. There's constraints on people doing home assessments. Uh, there's, you know, I, I've talked to a few people who have applied for these programs and they, they put their application in it. Months and months and months go by. They hear nothing to get their appointments. It, it's a lot of paperwork. So it, it's... Perhaps it's it's one option, but I don't think it's going to get us there. It has to be something that is standardized, that is like every other part of the supply chain. It's just normal, uh, but it's going to take some time to get there. Well, tell me about that supply chain. Do we even have the skilled labor to retrofit 15 million homes? You know, I'm actually not so much concerned about the labor. I think from what I can tell, the people that work in those industries are pretty adaptable and, and, and skilled. I think also, though, they need to have confidence in the products that they're selling. In fact, often the, you know, the installer or the supplier is the customer in many cases, because most people, if you're not, you know, a nerd, <laughs> you don't care about this <laughs> stuff. You just, you just trust them to recommend something for you. So they need to be confident that what they have will do the job for their customers. And, and so it's not so much the labor. I think they're very skilled at what they do, generally speaking. It's it's having confidence that a solution will work for their customers. And that's what needs to be done. It's a very interesting point. And, and I won't take offense to the geek comment personally, but <laughs> yeah, you don't see advertisements on the side of the highway for heat pumps. No. So the, the target demographic for the convincing of this, to your point, really lies in, in the contractor community. Correct. Yes, I think that's a big point. Uh, and like I say, most people, if there something goes wrong with their furnace and people don't think ahead, they'll just call them up at, when it's cold outside and say, oh my gosh, my furnace isn't heating. Or they'll call their landlord, my furnace, I don't have heat. What's, what's to do? And so then there tends to be a lot of, especially in the retrofitting uh, system, there's not a lot of time. So people default to what they're used to, what, what's worked before, what's in there now. And 
So we don't see that, uh, that change unless one plans for it. So what do you want Ottawa to take away from your report? I'd like to see on the target side, more granular modeling. If they're coming up with numbers like 42% by 2030, I'd like to know exactly how that comes from, what exactly what measures are contributing what. Uh, otherwise, it's not very helpful to achieving the targets. Uh, and once that's out there, then that can be tossed around, it can be examined, it can be discussed. But if it's, if it's not very visible or transparent, it's very hard to do that. We, we're left sort of guessing on exactly how we're going to achieve those targets and what, what costs could be uh, involved in that. Charles, thank you for your time and insight today. Thank you, Michael. Charles DeLand is an Associate Director of Research at the C.D. Howe Institute. For more on his report, visit cdhowe.org. Still to come from the C.D. Howe, a roundtable luncheon with the Honorable Sean Fraser, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship. That's at the Toronto headquarters Monday, October 17th. On the 26th, the Great Rebalancing Act, Canadian Pension Fund Perspectives with Ed Cass, the CIO of the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, Zayed Hindo, the CIO of the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, and Vincent Delisle, an executive VP at The Case. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.